Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. Merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello and welcome to the Sports History Network Showcase, our in-house show featuring SHN podcasters talking sports, talking history, and talking sports history. My name is Oz Davis, host of the Sports History Network's Truly the Ghost podcast. In this episode, my guest is Joe Ziemba. He's the author of Legends, the football history of Morgan Park Military Academy, and When Football is Football, the Chicago Cardinals, and the birth of the NFL. He's also a host of the podcast named after that second book, the When Football Was Football podcast here at the Sports History Network. Joe, how's it going for you this morning? Everything's going well, Oz. I'm in the Chicago area, and so it's uh, a nice sunny spring day, and the Bears did not lose yesterday, so I'm in a good mood. Thank you for asking. <laughs> yeah, the, the kicker didn't even bounce it off the uprights twice. Does that still hurt? It does. It does. There's been some kind of uh, emergency fire sale on dented goalposts that I think people around mm. the world are still buying up. Nice. Nice. Yeah. eBay had a nice, uh, nice run there. Right? Uh, okay. Well, I usually ask my guests, like, first off, to talk a little bit about their history with their personal fandom. But it's right there on the website. It says on the website that you first came uh, interested in the history of pro football after discovering that your father was a draft choice of the Chicago Cardinals in the 1940s. I guess my first question is, why discover? What Was this just not discussed, or what's the story there? That is actually an excellent question, comment, and observation all in one. He didn't talk about it. He was this big guy a great football coach, and unless you really ask him about it, and even then he wouldn't say much, we didn't know about his football background as, as kids growing up. Certainly we had a lot of uh, people with, say, big names in football that he seemed to know, and I didn't care a bit about football growing up. And uh, But he never talked about it, but it's one of those things in a family where when you move and uh, my dad passed away many years ago, but there was a box of his stuff. You know, we've always got that favorite box of stuff. And in his box, which he uh, was actually at my grandmother's house, uh, had these letters from people like George Hellis and Jimmy Councilman, people I didn't really know about. Of course, I knew growing up being a Bears fan uh, what the name was. And the draft uh, was around already, so he did get drafted by the Cardinals. But 
coaches would still send letters because they were trying to, to push the guy not only to play football for them, but also to offer them job opportunities in the area. Way back then, believe it or not, uh, these guys all had to have full-time jobs even during the football season to make ends meet. <laughs> and that was kind of the fun story about my dad. Not only did he not talk about it, but when I found his original contract, uh, it was uh, for $110 a game. If he got hurt, he didn't get paid, and he had to provide his own shoes and shoulder pads. So that was pro football back in the 40s. And he got hurt in training camp, decided he could make more money coaching high school football than he could playing pro football. And so that's what he made his career. But I, I always enjoy telling that story because he never told me. So I'm getting back at him right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> karmic retaliation i love it exactly yeah was he coaching at uh, morgan park yes he was actually uh, he coached at uh, this place called morgan park military academy mm-hmm. which dropped football over 40 years ago but still is in the top rankings of illinois high schools in terms of victory so he had some really good teams and it was a different type of genre for football he had these guys 24 7 literally they had a preseason training camp where they took them up to Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, to get them in shape. And, of course, during the year, uh, they'd play other sports. He was also the track coach and athletic director. And so he was able to uh, keep the guys uh, up to speed, of course, with football. And he had a lot that went on to college And when I was doing research for my book. And it was one of those things where you say, yeah, someday I'm going to write about this and write about Morgan Park Academy football, which people today – even though the academy is still there as a regular academy, Morgan Park Academy, and doing very well, people don't know its great athletic history. So I just wanted to bring that up to the front, and and uh, we had uh, they had four uh, college football Hall of Famers that were affiliated with the school. One was Amos Alonzo Stagg, who was one of the original coaches. Uh, that uh, uh, Wallace Wade from Alabama and Duke. The stadium is named after him. Uh, Jess Harper from Notre Dame, and a guy named Benbrook, who was one of the early first, I think, two-time All-American linemen from the University of Michigan. So they are all from uh, Morgan Park Military Academy way back when. Nice. You uh, you wrote these two books based on your dad's teams, more or less. Did did you ever consider uh, collecting all of the letters and stuff into a book? I, I have thought about that. And he'd probably say, no, you're a knucklehead. Stay away from that. Don't talk about me. Uh, but it's it's nice to have. It's nice to have. And I, I do talks uh, about football, and I always bring up that story I just shared about my dad and his, his unique contract. Nice. People who think oh, football's glamorous, you're going to be a, a millionaire for life, which a lot of these guys are, of course. But things are so much different. That's, I, I guess, how I, I kind of got the title of the book when football was football. And I was uh, driving in Chicago and got the idea. But it's really when you hear that, you want to take people back to a different time and a different place to where these guys played for the love of the game. Not that they don't today, but they were uh, in it to play it. Uh, They also had another job. And, of course, medical insurance was nil. Uh, They took big risks. But I always enjoyed those early days and and finding as many stories as I can to share. The more... Sports history that you do, especially if you're talking about North American sports history, the more you realize that this whole players are, are, you know, rich members of society is really new, really new. 
I mean, yeah. you 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 wonder why the 1919 Chicago White Sox threw the World Series. They weren't making any money, <laughs> you know. That's true. Yep. Yep. They, they hated their boss, you know, and so because he wasn't paying them. Uh, you, you know, you read about uh, the Jim Thorpes of the world, where it was just like, hmm, do I feel like playing football or not? Because he's making scratch. It's a common theme. Exactly. get back to the conversation with Joe Ziemba of the When Football Was Football podcast. But first, I wanted to give a plug for a new advertiser here at Sports History Network and on the SHN Showcase, newspapers.com. If you're listening to this podcast or any of the Sports History Network, you're probably into sports history. Then you'll probably know what I mean when I say that. For learning about it prior to, say, 1990, certain search engines like are completely useless. Go ahead. Do a search for Babe Didrikson or Jack Norwood. You get the same old Wikipedia entries, eBay and Amazon advertisements, and cliche-filled YouTube videos. But check out newspapers.com. Newspapers.com gives you access to over 640 million pages worth of news from the U.S., Canada, England, Scotland, Ireland, and more, dating back from 1798 to yesterday. Get the real-time you are there reportage of the first Super Bowl in 1967, the trial of the Black Sox in 1920, the Berlin Olympics of 1936. Just imagine a time, an event, and newspapers.com takes you there with historical flavor and honest representation that search engines like just don't have. And right now, get a free one-week subscription to newspapers.com by visiting sportshistorynetwork.com slash newspapers. With a paid subscription, you'll also be helping to support the production of this podcast and other Sports History Network shows. That's sportshistorynetwork.com slash newspapers. Newspapers.com. Way better than the usual search engine. Like, ah, you know what I'm talking about. Not many players can claim to be a member of their team's worst all-time season, as well as its best, and have a great time doing both. Tackle Chet Bolger of the Chicago Cardinals enjoyed an intriguing nine-year career in the NFL, being with the Cardinals from 1942 through 1949. Your podcast is unique in that it's focused on the histories of two teams. Yeah. Uh, the Chicago Bears and the Chicago slash St. Louis slash Arizona <laughs> Cardinals. In fact, I think they were the Phoenix Cardinals for a little while, too. They were, yeah. Tell us a little more about when football was football. I have a, this, this great opportunity to share some of these stories. In fact, I was talking to one of our colleagues on the Sports History Network, Darren Hayes, the other day about how I'm just in awe of the way sports research is taking off with all the tools we have now that we can look things up um, and, and find things out that weren't known before. And for those who are interested, this is very valuable information. So with, with my podcast, it was originally thought I'd share some of the stories just about the Cardinals, but it also seems that there's a lot about the Bears, and these are the two oldest teams in the National Football League, the two that were there at the start in 1920 when the league was initiated, but also they were both around before then. 
And in my research for the for the book, uh, When Football is Football, and for talks I've given since then, there's a great deal of information that's erroneous. In fact, the next book that I'm um, wrapping up talks about the early history of both the Bears and the Cardinals. And I was a bit flabbergasted to use an archaic word about how much history of both teams is inaccurate. So we're going to bring that to the forefront. And then moving ahead now to the, the podcast, is what we try and do is go beyond Google and to really go into microfilm, going beyond the online resources and find stories that might be of interest. And I always look at it as I always want to learn. Whatever I can learn each day is going to be helpful. And and so I'm looking for topics that interest me and hopefully interest others. That's why we have some strange things like the first football games played in Chicago, which go way back to the 19th century, and finding uh, some different personality traits about people. The current podcast talks about Red Grange running into Al Capone's gangsters over a prize fight, which I had never learned before. So that's what we're trying to do is really dig into the archives, take a deep dive and find some stories that haven't been done before. And and most of the articles are going to be original. Uh, most of the podcasts, I should say, are going to be original research for that particular episode. And so that's what we're trying to do and go way, way back with football. But keep it in the Chicago area. Uh, we might do some high school. We have done some high school. I did an episode on Morgan Park Military Academy's football team. And who knows, maybe some colleges. But I think the focus is not to get too broad but to keep it in the uh, Chicago area in the professional ranks. That's, uh, at least for now, that's our immediate future. And I'm enjoying the heck out of it, enjoying the comments that we get back from people and the suggestions for, for new talks that we might be able to do. Yeah, I believe the Arizona Cardinals are the second oldest sports club in North America, right? I, the Toronto Argonauts, I believe, are older. Oh, yes, yes, I've seen that. Yeah, definitely, though, for America, they are. Yeah, the Cardinals are 1898. Is that correct? 1899, and that's one of the things that I found out in my research because uh, if you go to the Cardinals media guide or even the Pro Football Hall of Fame, it'll say 1898, but uh, it was 1899. And that's kind of the fun of it because Hmm. I always tell people I really have no life, that I really get excited about finding (laughs) something that no one else has. And so I found out, no, Cardinals didn't exist in 1898. They, They started in 1899 and is the Morgan Athletic Association, which is just a bunch of teenagers playing football. Mm-hmm. But we can link that original right. team back to Chris O'Brien, who then sold the team to Dr. David Jones, who sold the team to the Bidwell family in the 30s. So really only three uh, owners uh, and that, uh, throughout that long history of now, uh, over 120 years. Okay. A couple of simple ones for you, but some of the listeners may not know this. All right. Who are the Decatur Staley's? Decatur Staley's began in 1919, the A.E. Staley Company, and it was a football team that the owner of the company decided to start some sports teams. So baseball was his primary interest, and then he started a football team, a basketball team. He had track events, but it was in early 1920 that he contacted George Hallis, and Hallis was not his first choice, by the way to a recent uh, graduate of the University of Illinois to come down and help organize another version of the football team that had been around since 1919 and to make it more of a national 
I guess I'm not going to say powerhouse, but being more competitive, at least in the Midwest. And so the Staley's are the forerunners of the Chicago Bears. That team was in Decatur for 1920, but Hallis started moving games to Chicago to draw bigger crowds. The Staley Field didn't hold very many people, and all the employees got a substantial discount to attend the game. So Hallis, being the visionary that he was, figured that drawing 10,000 to Cubs Park, which was Wrigley Field later years, would be better than drawing 1,500 down at Staley Field in Decatur. So that's where it was from. And Hallis also played baseball. He was their leading hitter. But the Decatur Staley's, again, were the originators of the Chicago Bears, as we know them today. They they took the name Chicago Staley's for one year as a part of the separation agreement with Mr. Staley that Hallis and his new partner, Dutch Sterneman, uh, signed with Mr. Staley back in 1921. Um, I guess I'm glad they didn't call them the Sternemos. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> that would have been difficult to talk about. Mm-hmm. What about the Racine Cardinals? Did the Cardinals actually play in Wisconsin? There was a misnomer about the Racine Cardinals. In fact, in the original minutes for the 1920 initial meeting of the um, uh, National Football League, which had a different name at that time, it was listed that one of the participants would be the Racine Wisconsin Cardinals. But one of the names of the early today's Arizona Cardinals was the Racine Cardinals. And what happened way back when in Chicago was a lot of the teams took the street name that the players might have lived on to be the name of their team. And so we had teams called the Westerns and the Hamlins, et cetera, and the Halsteads, which are all streets on the south side of Chicago. Chris O'Brien, as I mentioned, who was one of the originators of the team with his brother Pat, lived on Racine Avenue. And so that's where they took the name Racine. So it's it's not Wisconsin, but it's just the street in Chicago. And the Cardinals' name did not come from, we, we are also told in history that it came either from the name of a bird or that uh, Chris O'Brien bought jerseys that looked like Cardinal. Mm-hmm. And, right, that's what I thought. Yeah. But it's actually, they became for a year or two, uh, the Chicago, Car- or excuse me, the Cardinals Athletic and Social Club, just a name, as the clubs at the time took different names from their street or something that appealed to them. So, uh, again, another story that's not completely accurate, but I always like to tell that because it's kind of fun that it's, no, Chris O'Brien didn't even own the team, so he didn't buy any jerseys for it. It was a club where all the members contributed equally. Interesting. Okay, I'll be right back with Joe Ziemba of When Football Was Football right after a message in which football history fans will be quite interested. The 2021 Professional Football Researchers Association Convention will be held at the Gold Jacket Lounge at the Pro Football Hall of Fame during the final weekend of June. Convention speakers will celebrate the 100th anniversary of the founding of the NFL. The fee for the convention is $50 for members and $100 for non-members. The fee includes admission to the convention and Pro Football Hall of Fame, meals on Friday evening and Saturday afternoon, and free parking. All convention activities are subject to COVID-19 protocols. For more details, Click on the 2021 PFRA convention link at profootballresearchers.org. Okay, I am with Joe Ziemba. The name of his podcast is When Football Was Football. But, Joe, now I'd like to talk to you about what we just heard about the Pro Football Researchers Association convention uh, in 
June. You're playing a role in that. Tell us about your participation in that convention. Yeah, so I've been a member of the what we call the PFRA for many, many years. Uh, great, great organization for knuckleheads like myself, who <laughs> I shouldn't say that. That was a blanket assertion. I apologize. People like myself who love full-time <laughs> football, love researching it. Uh, and, and, and so we have this conference every two years that wasn't held last year because of the pandemic. But uh, when the conference is held, it's got great speakers, a lot of interesting topics. People uh, like us that have specific topics they like to research and present their information on. And also, there's usually a few ex-players there or maybe some NFL administrators and other people who have an interest in in that type of old football research. But, yeah, I've been uh, asked to participate as part of a panel discussion that will discuss the early days of the NFL. So we'll be talking about the Muncie Flyers and the Decatur Staley's and the Racine Cardinals, uh, teams that were there in the beginning uh, with a, the panel of other folks. So I'm really looking forward to it. And besides the presentations, it's uh, nice to, to see and meet and discuss football with, with other folks with similar interests. There's some really, really cool uh, side events, for example, a tour of the archives at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. There's going to be a luncheon at uh, a restaurant slash tavern, which some of the founders of the league apparently were at many years ago with a presentation by John Kendall, the archivist at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, who everyone should meet in their lifetime because of his superb knowledge. And, and so I'm really looking forward to not only my my small part in it, but hearing what others have to say. And I uh, I wish this is one of those conferences which you could ha- wish you could have every month instead of every couple of years. But since we missed a year, uh, I'm certainly looking forward to yeah. being in Canton in June. Mm-hmm. Is it always in Canton? No, it's uh, different locations. Uh, the last one was in Buffalo. Where we had Thurman Thomas mm-hmm. came, which was really neat. Nice. And uh, a lot of uh, former Buffalo players. There was a tour of the Buffalo Stadium, and a couple of years before that, it was in Green Bay. So we actually met at Lambeau Stadium. Mm-hmm. And I was nice. uh, able to tell everybody there about this Lambeau. It's the only stadium named after a Cardinals coach. And everyone looked at me kind of crazy, forgetting that <laughs> Curly Lambeau coached the Cardinals for a year and a half in the 50s. So. <laughs> <laughs> You guys have a trivia about there, it sounds like. Uh, let's see. I uh, got a just a general kind of question. We talked before the show about how you're much more into, say, football of the 1920s rather than the 2020s. But just in general, how do you feel about the modern NFL game? I do enjoy the game. And I have passion for it. And by that, I mean that when I say watch the Bears play or the Cardinals with my my dual allegiances there, uh, I'm not fit to be in a room with another human being. And that kind of passion doesn't come out of me in in any other kind of situation. So maybe there's some kind of uh, emotional subject that I'm falling into right there. But I I enjoy the game. Uh, Some of the measures that have been taken to make certain the players are safer. I applaud. Probably more can be done. I always worry about that. We see such catastrophic injuries now because the players are so much bigger. I think back to when 100 years ago we had the big star of the league was 
Eddie Driscoll of the Cardinals, who was maybe five foot seven and 160 pounds, but he was running behind a guard named Clyde Zoya, who was 175 pounds and, and a starter for years in the NFL at that size. So as we all know, the, the players have gotten bigger. It's a year-round commitment for the players, of course, and they're paid to be a year-round commitment. Uh, I just, But I do enjoy the game. I, I enjoy the passing game, the excitement that it brings. And where 100 years ago, it was not uncommon to have almost every game be a shutout for one of the two teams. Now we're disappointed if the numbers, uh, the scoring numbers aren't uh, up in the atmosphere in the 30s and the 40s. So it's uh, an enjoyable game, and I certainly am a big fan. And, of course, uh, looking forward to the draft as everyone else is uh, later in April of this year. In my day job, I'm kind of obsessed with the draft right now. I mean, really, it's the only it's the only thing happening in football, so that's what I'm writing about. Now, you told me before the show that you're not too in-depth about it, but you've got the Cardinals at number 16, you've got the Bears at number 20. What do you hope they do, and what are your expectations for this upcoming season? I mean, especially the Cardinals in the NFC West, they're looking at an uphill road, I think. Yeah, the Cardinals, however, have done a great job of, of adding some key players in the offseason yes, where the Bears, uh, we have a new quarterback. I think a lot of fans were hoping to make the plunge and hit the jackpot with a Russell Wilson, so to speak, uh, at one time Deshaun Watson. Uh, but Andy Dalton is a proven winner, which will be nice. Uh, and he's been around and got the experience. Maybe I shouldn't say winner in terms of winning numerous Super Bowls, but uh, being a winner in terms of being able to lead the team. So I think a lot of people in Chicago are still looking maybe if the Bears don't trade up to grab another quarterback for the future, which uh, would make sense. And the Cardinals are the Cardinals are loaded up at receiver. They seem to be set at quarterback. Do they need more work on defense? Uh, every team has lots of holes to plug. And we're wondering, I'm, I'm personally, I think maybe the, the Cardinals could use some help on defense at this time. Well, I, I'm glad you didn't say that the Bears should trade up to number three and draft a Trubisky type. <laughs> that would have been very disappointing, Joe. All right, Joe Ziamba of the When Football is Football podcast. Uh, thanks very much for joining us uh, here on the showcase. Oh, great, Oz. And this is really a wonderful thing you're doing of uh, expressing and sharing the opinions and the subject matter that the different folks on the Sports History Network are following on their summer daily. Some are, are not are weekly, but uh, thank you again for this opportunity. I always enjoy sharing whatever I can about those golden days of pro football. Thanks. Just trying to show my appreciation for the sports history geeks. And that is not a mischaracterization. <laughs> That's very well. I kind of call myself a research nerd. It fits perfectly there. It does. This has been the Sports History Network Showcase Podcast. We'd like to thank our guest, Joe Ziumba author of the book, host of the podcast, When Football Was Football, which is available through sportshistorynetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The theme song for the SHN Showcase is Quartz by Tech, and it is available through fair use agreement via freemusicarchive.org. SHN Showcase will be back soon with another Sports History Network podcast. 
Until then, this is Oz Davis saying stay safe and stay historical. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude. And I hope that you enjoyed this recent episode presented by the Sports History Network and were able to learn some good old-fashioned sports history knowledge nuggets. I started the Sports History Network back in 2020 with the mission to help podcasters find a community of like-minded sports history nerds as well as helping aspiring podcasters to start their own shows. We have a little bit over 30 shows on the network right now covering all sorts of sports history. But as far as I'm concerned, we're just at the toothpick in the ocean moment. You know that. Can't even figure it out because there's so much more coming. We wanted to create the ultimate headquarters for sports yesteryear, starting with Podcast Network and our website. But we're going to continue to move into other mediums as well. And here's the cool part, because we want you to be part of our team. So if you're interested in starting your own podcast or maybe being a guest on one of our shows, or who knows, maybe even writing an article for us over on the website. Seriously, all you gotta do is reach out to us on the contact page over at sportshistorynetwork.com. You can be as technologically savvy as a Neanderthal tapping on a stone trying to figure out this whole hieroglyphics thing back in the day. Again, it doesn't matter, because even if you don't understand the whole podcast space, we have a production team that can pretty much help you out with doing everything. All you gotta do, head over to sports. HistoryNetwork.com, head to the contact page, fill it out. That message goes right to me, and I'll reach out to you as soon as I can. But for now, dude, I'm through if you're through.